it was a bit unsettling. I remember just feeling like vaguely nauseous the whole time. <laughs> this is Marita. Marita lives in Milton, a regional town on the New South Wales south coast. It's a really beautiful old township perched just above the sea, but close to the Butterwang Mountains as well. So you've got the bush and beautiful beach on your doorstep. And it's also a pretty small town of just over 1,500 people. We've got one traffic lights in town. Did you say it's the only set of traffic lights? Yeah, yeah, the only set of traffic lights. (laughs) We call them the new traffic lights. They've been there for like a decade. One morning back in late 2017... Marita was walking by the traffic lights when she spotted something had been written in the middle of the road. Someone got up in like the middle of the night and graffitied like vote no in huge letters in that main bit of the lights. So like in the big square where you have to turn through. So it was pretty visible. This was during the postal survey for same sex marriage in Australia. And I just remember like feeling like literally like I was going to vomit when I had to pass that every day. It was just such a shock. I was like, oh my God, I didn't realise people actually felt so strongly that we shouldn't have the right to get married. It was just so sickening. It was just a really, really crazy realisation, especially to know that that's how members of the community I grew up in felt. In Milton, Marita says there aren't a whole lot of queer people around. It's not really a community in that sense, which is, I guess, a shame. Whereas if you were in a bigger city, you'd have a queer group or community sort of around your own age. Whereas here, it's very much the only gay in the village type feel. (laughs) Marita lives in Milton because she's a mushroom farmer. She grows mushrooms in a caravan she's converted into a lab off the back of her parents' farm. And while there's no bustling queer scene and a few people in town are showing their true colours. I love Milton. And I think if, you know, I can be living in a small town and being a total gamo at the same time, I'll be super, super happy. (laughs) There's a strong image that lives in many people's minds when you say the word farmer. A burly, middle-aged white male dressed in flannel and denim with an akubra. This image, while still an accurate representation of many Australian farmers today, is also a damaging one. This image excludes the hard work and contribution of farmers who fall outside of this imagining. Today on the show, we're pulling this image apart. You'll hear about queer farmers all around the country, and why regional and rural Australia is so much more than the straight man's land. This is Think Sustainability. I'm Jake Morecambe. For the queer community, cities are typically thought of as our safe haven, where you find your tribe. You see this in popular depictions of queerness, the first episode was Queer as Folk, I think, as a young queer man going to the city to go to a queer club for the first time. Uh, could you tell me, like, where's a good place to go? Depends what you're looking for. Jacqueline Whipler, sociology grad student from the University of Wisconsin, 
says since the beginning of the gay liberation movement in the late 60s, queer people from all across the states have flocked to urban hubs. There was what's called the Great Gay Migration of queer people relocating to the urban enclave. So the San Francisco's, that'd be the New York. Harvey Milk had a famous quote talking about you know, for all the rural gay people, come to San Francisco, you'll be safe here, come to the Casher, we'll take care of you. Those same calls were heard in Australia. Hazel Blunden, born and raised in the suburbs of Canberra, sought a more active queer life in Melbourne once finishing school. Mate, if you grew up in Canberra like I did, it was pretty dead in those days. And as soon as I could get on the Greyhound bus, I was out the door. I wanted to go somewhere with a bit more life and sort of gritty. What was it like living in Melbourne? The queer scene then was really fun. It was before all this regulation happened. You could smoke, you could drink. It was just a really fun time. Clubs, parades, those things tend to be concentrated in the cities. And we used to just like ride our bikes around and visit each other at our various inner city locations. And we used to organise a lot of our own parties and things like that too. Marita from Milton today says she'll often drive up to Sydney just so she can see her queer friends, as that's where all the action is. What do your queer friends that perhaps live in the city areas say about mm. you living in a place like Milton? Yeah, I think a lot of them are like, my God, I, you know, like I wouldn't survive. <laughs> Basically, to that effect, you know, they think it's like so far away. Jacqueline says a term from theorist Jack Halberstam sums this all up perfectly. The term's called metronormativity, just like the way that heteronormativity talks about heterosexuality being considered the norm. Metronormativity is a term that refers to urban areas and city life being the norm for queer people and queer living. While the city is seen as a safe space for queerness, this in turn sends another message, that you don't belong anywhere else. The depictions that we have of rural queerness are not so positive. It's the Brokeback Mountains. It's the Boys Don't Cry. It's Matthew Shepard. Yeah, if you're a young queer person, you're trying to figure out like, hey, where's the most, where's the place I'm going to be most likely to be accepted? Regional communities might not be your first pick. But just because we're told that's not where we belong doesn't mean there aren't queer people in these places. I have all these lovely gay aunts in Milton. It's really great. (laughs) Like these really lovely sort of older um, queer couples who are just such bright shining lights. I know for a fact there are a lot of gay people in regional Australia. Their voices aren't heard enough. Why, Why do you think that is? I don't know. We're just so obsessed with like Sydney and Mardi Gras and, you know, my friends Chris and Glenn and Scotty. They're always out fishing and camping and they, you know, they go out and do all this bush stuff. And we just don't associate that with queerness, but there's a lot of people doing stuff that's not stereotypically, you know, dancing around with with little shorts on, taking E. But you can do that in the bush too. (laughs) There's very much the metro queer person and in particular the metropolitan gay male sucks up a lot of the queer narrative. Do you think that? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Actually, Jake, I think you're right there. I think you're onto something. You know, we've got tradies, we've got people working in crafts, we've got jewellers, we've got, you know, the person running the news agency. They're all 
gay, they're all in regional towns, it's just not as visible, I guess. The erasure of queerness in rural and regional areas, Jacqueline Whipler says, couldn't be clearer than in the farming industry. For her research, Jacqueline has interviewed queer farmers across the United States Midwest and also farmers along eastern Australia, but says, regardless of where, this erasure is the same. It was very frustrating to me coming across articles about the new wave of women leading sustainable agriculture and no mention of people who I knew in the community who were doing lots of work and they were lesbians and not named. And I also saw that when queer people were interviewed, their queerness was omitted. There is this one magazine article in Yes Magazine, which is a very progressive, sustainability, alternative economics, nationwide magazine article. And it talked about three or four different farmers. For the straight farmers, talked about their husbands. And for the one queer farmer, she had told the interviewer several times, being a queer person, being a dyke in the community. But when it actually got to the publication, there was only one mention of this farmer being single or unmarried. Unmarried is very choice words. Yes. Why do you think the magazine would omit their queerness? That's a great question. I mean, this was 2014. (sighs) I think people even then, even now, what we're having in the US around Mike Pence, what you're having in Australia around the prime minister, there is still excessive homophobia, transphobia, I think there's a lot of hate and fear and misunderstanding, and that's still very common. This is the reality for queer farmers, who face challenges their hetero neighbours don't. For one, feeling isolated from their community. So when I would ask Australian farmers, do you know any other queer farmers? Oftentimes people just laughed at me. They're like, I'm the The only only gay gay in the village. village let alone, like, queer farmers. Like, it's it's me. It's me. To worries about being discriminated against or even physically harmed because of their sexuality or gender identity. There seems to be this way that they're kind of constantly doing negotiation and figuring out when is the time that I can hold my wife's hand. And, in fact, at our church, I'm not going to make it public that we are going to get married because that's going to isolate us from our congregation members. The other major concern is the damage this has on their livelihood, that if queer farmers are rejected by their community, it can affect their ability to farm and live. Is that a common thing that queer farmers are concerned that should they be themselves or outward about their sexuality or gender identity, they feel that they could potentially tarnish the relationships with the farming community around them? That is not something the farmers all that often say so explicitly, but when you are very publicly visible at farmer's markets, when you are well-known in your rural communities, because you are, as a farmer by nature, interdependent with other producers, with eaters, with whomever is at the grain mill, there is a sense of rural keeping your business to yourself, and I can't risk jeopardizing my relationships with my neighbours. Should they face these barriers, Marita from Milton points out 
in rural and regional towns, there's practically no support for queer people in crisis. Looking at the availability of mental health services in rural areas of which are equipped to mm. help those who are within the LGBTIQ plus community. I didn't know if you had any insight into that. I'm going to take a stab and say non-existent, um, especially in my area. It wasn't something that I was ever aware of growing up, especially, you know, like I went through a phase of, you know, this sort of internalized, like, oh my God, like I can't be gay. Like my whole society and everything I've ever been exposed to telling me that's so wrong, you know? So no, I don't think we have any queer-friendly counselling or any initiatives down here on the South Coast that I'm aware of. And while Australia has a large focus on farmer mental health, Jacqueline points out queer farmers generally aren't included. Australian farmers have one of the highest suicide rates of any occupation, and there are research projects out there that have collected data on this who are trying to promote outreach specifically to farmers But looking at those studies and looking at the questions that they ask, their questions are very heteronormative. They just ask for gender identity based on male, female binary, and they do not ask any questions about queerness. And if you look at surveys for queer people in Australia, there's data showing that queer LGBT youth are five times more likely to attempt suicide than their peers. So We know queer people are vulnerable. We know that farmers are vulnerable in terms of mental health outcomes. But there's not much in between on research, which I suspect translates into specific resources targeting queer farmers in the country, queer people in general who are in the country and might not even be farmers. It's not really going to exist, for example. While all these factors pressure many to stay in the closet, for others, it does the opposite. There are some farmers who use their queerness in their advertising, who are very public about it, who drive their tractors in pride parades under the sign Queerest Farm Around. Queerest Farm Around, you said. Yes. For some, farming and existing in these environments is a more deliberate act to mark your place. Jacqueline says this dates back to what's known as the Land Dyke Movement. The lesbian land movement or the Land Dyke Movement? Land Dyke communities set up as communal living spaces for women, not exclusively queer women, but many lesbians to return to rural life, to regain the skills of how to grow food, of how to use saws by hand to cut down trees and make your own furniture, to raise goats, and also as a way to practice those things in resistance to patriarchy and heteronormativity, that living on the lands was a means and ends to activism. Although many of these land-like communities no longer exist, the ideas live on through the Back to the Land movement. The idea of disconnecting from the city and starting a new life in rural and regional spaces. For many queer farmers, this is their story. I wasn't raised a farmer, but my dad's side of the family were uh, dairy farmers. We always went back to that land that he grew up on. This is Perry. My name's Perry. I use neutral pronouns, they, they, them. I'm a natural builder currently living in country Victoria. 
And where was your parents' farm? So it's my dad's parents' farm. I uh, was in Lamington, near Lamington National Park, Christmas Creek, which is on the Queensland side of the ranges. And how would you describe the place? At times, sort of undulating and green, beautiful creek, beautiful waterhole. We'd go walking around the mountain range there and found that I really enjoyed that and felt at peace in that sort of an environment. Looking back on their visits to the farm was one of the things that sparked Perry's interest in woofing. Wolf or Woofing is an international network of volunteers that stands for Worldwide Opportunities on Organic Farms. When you woof, you're placed on a farm and help with the daily farming duties. Perry explains, like in general farming, openness to queer people is a mixed bag, where before woofing somewhere, they'll usually call ahead, telling them that they're queer. But what Perry has discovered through woofing with other queer people is what queerness can bring to farming itself. Being female assigned at birth, I think that a cishet lens is not enough vision for me in a lot of the queer land projects that I've visited. Yeah, I've really found that people are taking it one step further and they're often coming from more of an activist background and the camaraderie. They're really trying to delve into a lot of the systemic issues that we have in the broader culture, make space for everyone from all walks of life and listen to each other and bring people in from the margins and really challenge a lot of the dominant ideologies in capitalist culture, who can take up space, who's got a voice. A few years back, Perry started an online queer farmer network trying to gather people from around Australia to share their experiences, but mostly talk to other farmers out there. With the Queer Farm Network, what I wanted to sort of grow was visibility. A lot of people, they go, oh, I'm queer, I need to go to the city. But it'd also be really great if people who were queer felt like they could stay on the land and that that was a really great option. And it'd be really great if people who are queer in the city and feel a connection to the land could be made aware that that's also an option. On top of that, researcher Jacqueline Whipler argues it makes no sense turning potential farmers away. If we're trying to think about sustainability, one of the biggest things about switching to sustainable agriculture is you need more people farming. Sustainable agriculture takes a lot of labor, it takes a lot of hand power, and if we are blocking out segments of the population that are interested and eager, but because of their gender and sexual identity, they don't think it's an option because they believe or they have experienced negative statements or they've experienced discrimination, that's not a smart way to move towards sustainability is to block people out of this. If we want to address sustainability from an ecological perspective and diversity, we also need to be addressing that from a social perspective, which means making sure that there are path roads and inroads for queer people, for trans people, for queer and trans people of colour to be in this profession. And with those pathways into farming come positive role models. While growing mushrooms for harvest, Marita is also experimenting with medicinal mushrooms. 
What are medicinal mm. mushrooms? Yeah, so medicinal mushrooms are mushrooms that have organic compounds that are really good for the immune system or benefit the body in some way. I started growing them mainly because I have two sisters with Crohn's disease, which is an autoimmune gut disease. And reishi, um, which is Ganoderm lucidum, is is really good for the gut and is really good at helping sluggish immune systems sort of regain their balance as well. So, yeah, I've just been sort of geeking out in the lab trying to get a few different medicinal mushroom species growing and seeing how they go. I'm at the point now where, for me, it's more important just to be visibly queer in my community and be this person who is growing food, living her life, being herself, especially if it could help someone who's coming to terms with their sexuality in a small town. If that helps anybody be like, oh, actually, like, yeah, it's fine to be gay, um, then that would be fantastic. Think Sustainability is made possible with the support of 2SER, the University of Technology Sydney, and is heard around Australia via the Community Radio Network. Think Sustainability is made in the 2SER studios in Sydney, which sits on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, whose sovereignty was never ceded. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Think Sustainability. And we also have a website, 2SER.com forward slash think sustainability. I'm Jake Morecambe. Thanks for your company.